is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello, welcome to the Twilight Highlight Zone. I'm your co-host, Jeff Cork, joined by my co-host, Ben Hansen. Who's your best buddy, Jeff Cork? You're my co-best buddy. <laughs> We're at season five. We made it. This is the final season of the program, The Twilight Zone. Also of the program, The Twilight Highlight Zone. Exactly. Because without the show, our parasitic <laughs> relationship has come to a close. What if we just kept going and just kept looping and just went back to season one and just the rest of our lives, we just kept covering this? Or we just pretend that Outer Limits is Twilight Zone. We could do that. Too. <laughs> just rename it, yeah. Night Gallery, whatever. It's all Who the cares? same jazz. Exactly. So... We're going to be doing episodes one through five of season five. Yeah. We're doing the longer format because yes. the overwhelming silence spurred us on. <laughs> Is that how it worked? I think so. All right. So why don't I start with a little episode I like to call In Praise of Pip. There we go. Just right there from the title. You're, you're grabbed. Your attention is, they've got you where they want you, right? They please tie into great expectations in some way. I think there's a character named Pip in there. Yeah, exactly. So here we go. We start off in Vietnam, as they call it. Very it, weird for Twilight Zone, because it yeah. opens and just the full text on the screen, Vietnam. The way they display the title of the episodes, yeah. it's a weird... I was confused, because I was like, is, wait a minute. This said in praise of Pip, and now the episode is called Vietnam. I don't get it. Yeah, it's not very often that they do that. But. Anyway... So here we are in Vietnam. There's a guy on a stretcher, and we learn that he's been caught in an ambush, and he's taken some shrapnel, and he could go either way, which meaning he could live or die, which is typically prognosis. The doctor lifts up the sheet and looks at his legs and kind of gives a hooey. Yeah, and he says, you know, boy, if, I hope that you live, and if you don't, I hope you have someone who mourns you. And then, like, seconds later, the guy reacts, so he totally heard that. <laughs> it's like, huh, that's kind of a lame thing. And then suddenly, a guy wakes up in bed. Not only is it a guy, it's Jack Klugman. The Jack Klugman. Mr. Death Ship himself. Mr. Passage for a Trumpet. <laughs> Mr. Game of Pool himself. Yeah, this is his fourth episode. Yeah, I guess that's right. He's one of the, he, Him and Burgess Meredith, I believe, are tied for the most appearances on the program, The Twilight Zone. Rod Serling, technically, I guess, if you want to get technical about it, but we don't count him. No. Anyway, he wakes up. And immediately begin smoking, because that's what you do when you wake up in the Twilight Zone. He's a boozer, too. Exactly, because the lady knocks on the door, lets herself in. Apparently, this is like a board, he's in a boarding house, flop house. She's kind of... The landlord, landlord. but she, he's, he likes her. He likes kind of drunkenly they, they, flirting they with her. banter. Yeah, he's just like, I love you, Miss Feeney. I love you. It's a lot yeah, of Yeah, she's stuff. like, ah, it smells like a brewery in here. And she like cracks open the window, and she's like futzing around with this stuff. And uh, then he's like, hey, do you have any, any mail for me? And she's like, nope. And he's bummed out because his son, Pip, is in Vietnam. Which we should point out, it's pretty crazy that they chose Vietnam for the setting yeah. for this. This is 1963. Right. It's one of those things where it opened up and it's like, oh, of course, a war scene in Vietnam. And it's like, wait a minute. This is black and white. This is yeah. 1963. That is, that's pretty wild. It's yeah. Like, I guess, you know, it started heating up in 59, technically. I had mm -hmm. to go do my dumb research. Uh, and I read, apparently, originally, the script had uh, Pip injured in Laos. Mm -hmm. But then, like, the, the script, they had, like, some research team go out and then come back and be like, ah, there is technically fighting in Laos, but American soldiers aren't really there. And, and even though they aren't technically supposed to be fighting in Vietnam at this point either, mm -hmm. they are. So let's just change it to there. And yeah. that's why he also has that line later on, Jack Klugman's character, where he's like, 
There isn't even supposed to be fighting in Vietnam right, right. now. Yeah. Right. So then a young man bursts into the room. Doesn't even knock. I, I think he just actually just comes right on in. Right. And uh, and he looks like you, you might recognize him. He's a young Vladimir Putin. <laughs> and he's a guy named uh, George, right? And he's bet a whole lot of money on a horse race. And he got a tip from our hero, Max. And he borrowed a bunch of money from work. And the tip turned out to be a bum tip. And you learn that Max is kind of a, an intermediary for a bookie, right? Right. So the guy is totally out of luck. George is, is sweating it, and, and Max just doesn't seem to care all that much. Goes into the, the boss's office, and the guy's counting money, and Max you know, flings an envelope full of cash, and immediately Max flops onto a couch because he likes to lie down a lot. That happens. That's like his defining trait as a character is, mm-hmm. I'm a guy who likes to lie down. That's, well, yeah, that's what I do. Especially by the end of the episode. Then he counts the money. The boss is like, wait a second, what's going on here? And Max says like, eh, you know, let's just let the kid go. You know what I mean? Whatever. It's not a big deal. And the boss is like, well, actually, it is a big deal. You, we ripped, he was going to rip us off for 300 bucks. We tracked him down, had to beat him up a little bit, and, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then the landlady calls. I don't know why she knows his, like, bookie's phone number or whatever. Calls, and it's for him, and it turns out it's a phone call from... Uh, the uh, the landlady's he got a call uh, telegram rather right and he's like read the telegram, and he's super bummed out because his son is dying and he just goes no yeah so and then he, said, he says like oh Pip my son my son's dying in some place called South Vietnam right and at that yeah. point he's kind of like goes to the window and he's looking outside the window and he's like uh and immediately is on cue like, carnival starts and all this calliope music and everything and yeah. he's like ah oh, Pip liked the carnival wouldn't you know it. So then uh, all that pip talk gets uh, gets Max thinking, you know what? This guy, George, he seems like an all right fella. It's kind of a drag to let him like ruin his life like this. So he throws the envelope to George, says, get out of here. Don't turn around. And then the goon by George like starts to reach for a gun. Yeah. And Max pulls out a knife and he says, you know, if you if you do that, I'll cut your heart out before you have a time to do anything it was very violent at this moment and yeah that, and then he goes for the knife swing and then uh, the other guy shoots him and hits him in the side oh yeah george just runs over and guts the guy and like hits the other guy in the back fatally apparently i didn't know how that worked it's a very confusing scene but then he runs out and that's one of those things where he doesn't realize till later on that he's actually bleeding from the side mm-hmm. but he does have enough time to wander into the beautiful carnival yeah he says oh i want to see pip one last time so i can tell him <laughs> how much i screwed up right then he walks into this gate and it's totally empty, but then he sees a kid, and it's Pip. And the kid runs away after he calls Pip's name, and then we turn the corner, and it's not Pip. It's that horrible monster, Anthony, from <laughs> It's a Good Life. Who apparently is Pip, but we can definitely incorporate into the unified theory coming up yeah. later. How might this... be, he might be a little child actor, Bill Mummy or Mummy <laughs> or whatever you want to pronounce it. He probably has his own preference on how he wants his name pronounced. But yeah, we'll figure it out later. It's, it's the monstrous young Anthony. Right. But to this guy, it's Pip. He's 10. And this guy is so excited, Max, that to see Pip. He does this thing where he keeps picking him up and spinning him and shaking him a little too hard. Like you wonder if like... He was told between takes, hey, you know, ease off. This kid's got a spine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to hurt him. And then he keeps saying the line where he's like, oh, it's like we used to say, Pip. It's like we used to say, who's your best buddy? Yeah. And then he'd stare. You're my best buddy. 
Yeah, yeah, I love you, Pip. I love you. He's, he's very desperate. And then everything man, turns on again. Yeah, the carnival boots up. And there's a like a montage of just terrifying circus music. <laughs> and it shows them having the best time, but it is a nightmare. It is very close. I know we reference this a lot, and I'm sorry we don't remember the name of the episode, but the Maya the Cat Girl episode. Yeah. It's very close to that style of montage where it's just freaky carnival everything's at a crazy dutch angle oh god and he's got like there's cotton candy there's a hat with a really long feather on it yeah. they're shooting targets and having like rides and, and stuff. it's like superimposed their faces over the images of the rides and stuff it's a really weird way of showing this montage it's like they didn't want to it was tough to get a camera on the roller coaster so just show the roller coaster and then yeah. show their faces over the top of it oh finally the nightmare ends <laughs> and you know they uh they're hugging and then pip just Freaks out in the middle of the hug and runs away. Nothing really cued it. I was waiting for, like, did he see something behind his dad or something like that? But it was nothing. He just screams and runs away. Yeah. He tries to chase him down. Yeah, and then before that, they did a little target practice. They played one of those target games, and uh, Pip shot a duck target, and Max was so excited, he, you know, throttled Pip. And, but, but before, oh, he, uh, said, he was instructing him, and he said that the key is you got to work the gun, not your jaws. And so he took the gum out of his mouth. Yeah, and then put it on something. Yuck. <laughs> so Pip runs away into the Hall of Mirrors, and there's like this sequence where he's chasing him around there, and he finally tells, he kind of corners Pip and says, you know, I loved you so much. No father ever loved a kid as much as Pip. I was the, okay, I'm a crappy father. I was right, drunk. Right, right. I was absent, but I was the best. And I missed you so much. And then Pip kind of r- runs out. Now, would that have been like an extremely hard place to shoot? I was thinking the whole time. I, was, I have that written down. Yeah, that is my main thought. Is Because like, they have a weird angle. One of the main wide like angles that they have or wide shots mm-hmm. in there. It's like at a very strange angle. And I was yeah. like, why does that look so weird? And it's like, oh, that's right. That's probably the only way they could possibly shoot it. In a hall of mirrors without showing yeah. the cameras. Yeah. It'd be impossible. Ugh. So then Pip says, I got to go. The hour is up. Yeah. Like, okay. There's an hour deadline, apparently. But he also says, like, I'm I have dying. to die. Yeah. He says, I'm dying, which is, is, is a great moment. Yeah. And then Max takes it upon himself to, like, resume the speech. Oh, I love you. You can't die. I love you more than anybody else. Rah! And then hulks out and breaks the mirror. Yeah. Shatters the glass. Yeah. And then looks in the mirror fragment and sees Pip in the reflection and then breaks that or something. I don't know. He doesn't do that, but whatever. <laughs> And then he leaves midway clutch. At this point, he's like really clutching his side. He, it is a bold <clears throat> move to be shot in the side and still going on those rides. <laughs> and eat cotton candy. But it is that weird thing where he was shot, wandered uh-huh. in the amusement park. Do you think he just laid down and died there? Like when? What are you re- talking about? We haven't even gotten cl- that. Well, in reality, okay. Uh-huh. You can. I mean, at this point, we can. It's clear that he's not really with his son, Pip. So, like, in reality, what do you think happened in that situation? He stumbled into the amusement park and... Maybe half a pirouette and just fell down dead, his tongue hanging <laughs> and out. And so all of this is just his vision flashing before his eyes. Yeah. Okay. And he goes out of the Hall of Mirrors, minus one less mirror, thanks to Max, jackass. <laughs> and uh, all the lights turn off, and then he starts bargaining with God, saying, hey, I'll trade you... My lousy life for Pip to live. Ah, and then he, you know, spoiler alert, he collapses on the ground and dies. And it, the second he dies, trash out of nowhere, this wave of trash. It looks just pretty coming. cool, blows over. So him, I yeah. think at that moment, we're back in reality. So could be, yeah, yeah. And then it also immediately jumps to Pip at the amusement park mm-hmm. with Mrs. Feeney from the beginning of the episode. Yep. And Pip 
uh, I guess I didn't see it too much at the beginning of the episode, but he looks just like he's a 16-year-old kid. Yeah, he's a pretty young dude. We're yeah. walking with a cane now. Yeah, yeah. They make one quick reference to yep. like if it's if he's gonna be okay walking with that. But yeah, then he walks. They walk by the target gallery. They walk by their father's corpse. Yep. Step over it. It's kind of rude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he grabs the gun and he goes, "Ah, oh, you know, gotta work the gun, not the job." Puts his gum away, and <laughs> then he kind says, of "Message. That's a horrible." He imprint. says, "You're my best buddy. You always were." Yeah. And then Rod Serling says, not much to add here. And then he just continues on for this really long speech. Like he always does. He's like, well, not much to add, but let me add a whole lot. <laughs> There's something about how you can find love anywhere. Yes. Yada, yada, yada. You know, love can bring you back to life, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and the father had a long, well, a pretty long speech with God where he's like pleading for his son's life before mm-hmm. he died. And that was... That was probably the peak of the episode for me. Like as it started, I really wasn't too into it. Just like uh, it's bulky, some crap. I'm yeah. not really following it too quickly. But like I get it, he's a slummy guy. But mm-hmm. it was pretty packed with like the involvement of that other guy that owed money, yada yada yada. But then once it broke free of all that, which was pretty early, thankfully early. Now that we're back to the half hour episode yeah. format, uh, then I I I appreciated it by the time that he was screaming to God for his son's life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it never really hit me that hard emotionally. No. Maybe it's not because I'm not a father. I don't know. No, that doesn't get you any extra points even in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> so you're saying you're not praising Pip? No, I'm. I'd give this one a five. This one is just a. Yep, there's an episode of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it falls in line for a certain category later on, but yeah, I absolutely give this one a five as well. Yeah, um, Klugman. Yeah, he was really swinging for the fences again. I feel like he's always going for it with Twilight Zone, but. There's never been an episode that's been amazing with him. Death Ship's no. probably the closest that we'll get. Yeah. Uh, it's the best of his bunch. He's but... a great actor. I think he does a fine job, but just he's he's in really crappy episodes, I think, for the most part. <laughs> Sorry, Jack. All right, that's in praise of Pip. I think we'll remember it forever. That's lukewarm praise at best. <laughs> All right, next up, Steel. Yeah, Steel. Now we're talking about a good old-fashioned Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> All right, so this is in the far distant future of 1974. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a really strong opening where it's two guys wheeling and wrangling this, I don't know, it looks just like a, a like, coffin, I suppose. looks like Hannibal Lecter. Yes, yes. It's a body that's draped with sheets and it's got a dumb mask on and tiny little <laughs> roller skates. <laughs> and the, t- the front wheel on one of the roller skates falls off four times or yeah. so throughout the episode and they're constantly putting it back on and so they're just wheeling this body through the streets and then i think it's serling that explains is that ex- how, you, how you figure out like what's going on in this future world as uh, far as they the kind laws of go into it them uh they kind of talk about it themselves actually they go into a diner okay yeah. and that's when like they go to sit down and that's when whatever it is in this thing just Sits in a chair, too. You're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, they give it like a good tap, and it sits down next to him. Yeah. Uh, and you eventually realize throughout the course of the episode that this is 1974. It was filmed in 1963, and in this version, 1968, mm-hmm. a law was enacted that outlawed human boxing because yes. it was too dangerous. Right. And so they needed to create robots to keep boxing afloat. Yes. Unclear if this law then sparked robot development. I don't know. Or if these robots were already on the cusp. I mean, these are pretty shoddy robots. They can't really talk. Well, they're... these aren't robots. These are robots. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Sterling <laughs> explains very clearly that they're robots. Yeah. Um, so there is kind of the the main guy who owns this 
real, real, real quick, I'm going to yeah, interrupt you. Please. Um, because this is a big thing with season five is Serling is back. It's not just him oh, in the yeah, gray that's room. True, that's so true. he's at the diner also. It like does the classic camera whips over and, it, and he's at a table and it looks like he's sitting at the smallest chair and the ch- smallest <laughs> chair eventually. He's like yeah. barely reaches this table while he's talking and it's comical. We, yeah, we shouldn't have glossed over that. Like in the first episode of the season, it was really nice to have that whip pan yeah. to him sitting there, standing there on set. And then like in the first episode of season five, it's like he's getting right back to prime form where he just says submitted for yep. your approval it's like yeah. right out of the gate it's like all right the most cliche twilight zone line he's yep. just getting right to it um yeah so this one he's sitting in there and he explains a little bit more of the setting and the main guy who's lee marvin mm-hmm. uh he was a boxer back in the heyday of boxing and his name was steel kelly right uh and his buddy it's unclear i mean they're both owners of this robot one is more of a mechanic yeah he's the mechanic yeah yeah, yeah. okay so the mechanic guy it's interesting because he seems he keeps calling this guy steel Mm-hmm. So it seems like he was probably a fan of his back in the day, back when human boxing was a big thing. Yeah. If you want to try and read into that. Um, so they have this clunky old robot boxer who is a B2 class. Yeah. Maxo. The battling Maxo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it seems like they're up to a B8 class in the future. It's like iPhones, you know? It's mostly B7s now, right? But they do say later on that a B9 is coming a soon. B9. Okay. That's what yeah. it is. They're skipping eight entirely. Uh, so this robot is falling apart uh and they definitely build up through the course of the episode to parallel between this aging robot mm-hmm. and the aging human boxer who misses his glory days yeah they like, say like his one of his islands is his is shoddy cables and his legs are going and even his gyro is shot that's like <laughs> a point of oh dear yeah and so they Went a long ways to go to this one match. They're pretty far outside of their comfort They're zone. They're in Kansas, too. Okay, yeah. They're like, we just got to get through this one match. We'll get some money, then we'll just get the heck out of here because battling Maxo probably can't stand up to much. And so even they're like putting him through his paces. And so Lee Marvin is kind of just doing like a little test uh, boxing match with the robot. And he, <laughs> like, I'll get it back up here, too, please. though. Because this is, they go back stage to the, right. like they talk to the guy and the guy's like, hey, you know, they didn't want him at first, but the other boxing robot broke down, so they were like a last-second replacement, right? Right. And right. they're in the locker room, and that's when they take off Maxo's hood because he's wearing this hood with like it's like an executioner's hood. It's just like a gimp mask, yeah, that they make all the robots wear. That thing is ugly. It's it's terrifying. Like, yes, it is super scary. And ugly. the key point that makes it terrifying is like they have the close-up on the face when they remove the mask, and it's just the black eyes. Yeah, and they just have like black half ping pong balls mm-hmm. under the eyes of because it's a person and apparently yeah. what they did is they made a prosthetic and then just layered it up so it perfectly matched the person's face it just mm-hmm. looks thicker yeah and then they have the ping pong balls in there so it's just like these black soulless creepy eyes but like in black and white it mm-hmm. kind of looks like they're bloody and yeah it's a disturbing image yeah it's pretty awesome yeah it, it does look pretty cool yeah um and so lee marvin is doing a bunch of tests and there's back and forth between like whether or not they should actually put the robot through its paces. But if they put it through its paces, it's probably going to fall apart. It's like, just don't leave it. Just don't throw the left punch, whatever you do. Just save it for the fight. Just save it for the fight. Uh, The robot ends up throwing the left punch because of the buttons on the back that the mechanic is controlling. And it does like a comic sound. Yeah. yeah. And And so battling Maxo breaks down. His arm is totally limp. Yeah. Yeah. Hours before the fight, he's useless. And they don't have a replacement for the part because this is a B2 and they don't make those parts anymore. No. Like, this is from 
50 years ago. Like the law's only been around for six years and they already don't make those parts anymore. Yeah. This robot development's just flying, man. <laughs> we should point out. Yes. Uh, if this plot sounds familiar. Real steel. <laughs> Real steel. Which I thought when that movie first came out, I remember this episode because I watched this one before. Uh, and I just thought it was kind of like, you know, kind of an homage type thing. But I guess it is considered a direct film version of this episode, even though the movie Real Steel is much, much different. But yeah. this episode was based on this short uh, story by Richard Matheson. And then that movie was also based on the same thing. And oh, that, was, cool. that was just called Steel. Uh, but the movie is quite different. We can get to that later. All right. Have you seen Real Steel? I have not. You have not lived. Okay. Okay. So we'll get to it. Um, so Robot breaks down and then... It's a pretty quick turnaround where Lee Marvin's character, Steel Kelly, is just like, you know, if the two guys we talked to earlier who saw Battling Maxo mm-hmm. aren't at the show tonight, it's basically all he says. Yeah, if they don't watch the match. Right, right. Then the mechanic immediately knows what he's getting at. It's like, you will die. If you go in that <laughs> ring against that robot, you will be destroyed. And, and the thing, too, is that these robots bruise and bleed and get injured right, right. just like a person because... You have to satisfy the crowd's bloodlust because people can't live without boxing, apparently. Well, we learn how crappy that crowd is later on. Yeah, right. they really, they love their boxing. So club. Lee Marvin, if he does get the tar beaten out of him, it's not like that will give anything away. Right, right. It'll be completely natural in theory. And it's one of those things like you got to wonder in the fiction of this world, if anybody's tried this before, mm-hmm. if they've talked about it, because it's such a quick turn where he's like, you can't do this. Like, these guys spend a lot of time together. Maybe yeah. Lee Marvin has always talked about that. Like, oh man, if I get in that ring, I could really knock their socks off type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he puts on a little bit of makeup, uh, puts the dumb roller skates on his feet, mm-hmm. and the mechanic wheels him out into the ring to go up against a B7. Uh, and of course, the crowd just hates battling Maxo, and they're yelling at it like, you suck, you bucket of bolts. Rattling Maxo. Yeah, more mean. like rattling <laughs> Maxo. It's a pretty clever crowd. Um, and so he gets out there, and it's kind of funny because they have to do the whole thing where you know, they're introducing the different boxers, and the robot does like this awkward stand-up during that mm-hmm. moment, but then like Steel Kelly has to also like impersonate an awkward <laughs> stand-up, but not be too natural. But he can't help but still look around. And yeah. His eyes are normal. Which you think the crowd would pick up on not having creepy black alien eyes. Who knows? Maybe that's what the B2s were like. It's a <laughs> decades ago, right? Who remembers? Or, or five years ago. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, when this, it's been a while since I've seen this episode and I was expecting the fight to be shot in a very crappy way. Uh, kind of like that one episode, the yes. big tall wish. Yes. Yeah. We're just keeps cutting back to the extreme close-ups in the crowd. I remember with Big Tall Wish, that was really weird. Yeah. Uh, but I was actually pretty impressed. Uh, it was it was a good-looking fight. Yeah. It was no Raging Bull, but yeah, they pulled it off pretty well. You could see that other robot just hit really hard, and Lee Marvin was, like, trying to get in there. There was one moment where he gets behind the robot, and I'm like, oh, he's got him! Yeah. And he throws, like, a punch to the robot's back, and the robot just turns around and just starts punching him. And That's really what I love about this episode is... I think this were made today, and it almost was with <laughs> Real Steel. <laughs> By the way, Real Steel, he wins at the end, believe it or not. Uh, but uh, what I love about this episode is that he doesn't stand a chance. He's a human going up against a freaking robot oh, God. designed to kill. Of course he's going to get his ass kicked. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. Like, There's no moment of like, maybe he can pull this off. No. Come on, Steel Kelly. Come on. Just nothing. No, it ends in the first round, and he's <laughs> just like, he gets knocked down once, and like... 
his uh the manager or the mechanic yeah. comes down to him and he's like get the robe <laughs> he's get not even like out of he's not like help me up or i can do this he's just like cover me up immediately no because he's been yeah it's like a two and a half minute round and the crowd is just losing it screaming like kill him kill him all yeah. that stuff what uh steel kelly should have done is he should have snuck around to the back of the other robot and pressed the buttons oh. since he knows it could have just been like or just punched the buttons he could have pretended yep. like it was just his robot malfunctioning but he could have directly controlled the other one to then attack that robot's manager that's true there's so he many strategies done, yeah <laughs> uh so He's basically dead, but he needs to be wheeled out mm-hmm. and then brought back into the little uh, kind of waiting room training area. Yeah, in the locker room. And, and he just collapses oh, on the floor. That's a great, like the second that they're out of like eyesight, yeah, yeah. eye shot of anyone, and then he just, yeah, he just falls into a heap. And the mechanic uh, then tells him that he's only able to get half the money because they promised him a good fight and they only able, were only able to supply one round. Yeah. Not even that. Uh <laughs> that's that's it right yeah. i mean do they leave i don't even no, remember he's like keeps t- like he's like obviously got his his bell rung right but he's immediately talking about like okay we'll skimp out on these meals right we'll right. travel this like circuitous route and but then that'll give us money for parts so we'll fix uh battling max so yeah up we'll get him back up we'll show him what new. a b2 can do yeah that type of thing that he yeah. just won't he won't let the dream die Apparently, both that battling Maxo is awesome and that he can still fight, even though he's a pretty old guy at this point. Right. Um, so, in real steel, yes, it's a little bit different. This is Hugh Jackman. This is Hugh Jackman. Talented he, dancer. He does not get into the ring uh, with the robot, but it's some dumb crap where their robots, like, sensing mechanics or something get broken, and so it's useless. And so they set it to a mode so that the robot watches Hugh Jackman and does exactly what he does. Mm. So it's like a connect type thing then where Hugh Jackman is standing outside the ring throwing punches and the robot just does what he does. So in a way, it's like Hugh Jackman is fighting the other robot, but not in a way where he's in any physical danger himself. That sounds like the dumbest idea. Yeah, and I guess like everybody in the auditorium just thinks that Hugh Jackman is just just super excited. Yeah, so he's just mimicking the moves exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah, Uh, it's, it's actually a fun movie much more fun than it should be but it's yeah. just stupid uh and this twilight zone episode is much better yeah uh i really like this one i did too I, i'm glad that it holds up from when i saw it years ago because it's always one of those that i never really forgot about mm-hmm. it's like because every time i think about boxing it's like oh yeah how long is boxing gonna be around it's like oh that's right there's that one twilight zone episode where they <laughs> banned it because yeah. it's super deadly i ended up giving this one an eight yeah same boat look at us man are we simpatico so I far i think we're simpatico we'll see if it continues Oh, because I don't know how this one's going to hold up with you. I can see you going either way. All right. This next episode, this is the big one. This is one of the big Twilight Zone episodes. This is Nightmare at 20,000 feet. First of all, I would like to say that this is an episode that every time I refer to it, I come up with a different altitude. (laughs) So it's nice to know that it is 20,000 feet. Nightmare at 20,000 fathom. 20,000 leagues. Can I tell you a really dumb story? Let's go. We can always cut it out. Yep. Uh, in high school, one of the first dumb movies with my friends that I made uh, was I made a horror movie about a monster that drank breast milk that was fueled off of breast milk. Okay. Because uh, apparently as a 16-year-old guy, I thought about boobs a lot. <laughs> All right. And uh, I In called the worst it, way. Yeah. <laughs> and I called it Nightmare at 32C in honor of this episode. Wow. You guys really did it. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, carry on. Cork, All right. Away. So, this episode, we start, it's William Shatner. 
What do you know? Mr. Nick of Time. Mr. Nick of Time himself. And he is a super nervous dude on a flight. And he's with his wife. And they sit down. He's so nervous. In fact, he immediately starts smoking. And his wife kind of chides him and says, you know, don't smoke now. Wait till the plane takes off. Come on, really. This is an interesting thing. I did some research because I was like, I, that brand of cigarettes, it's Morley is the brand. Uh-huh. That brand is like a fake brand that has been in a ton of different things. That's like the brand of cigarettes that the cigarette smoking man on X-Files smoked. Oh, really? Yeah. It's just like a prop cigarette that looks kind of like Marlboro. And it's used all over the place. Because it looks like that? Or is it that it's, they started using it a while ago and then everybody just started like using it as an homage to whatever started that chain reaction. I don't know. I don't know, but it's used in like a ton of things. And huh. It's been used for obviously decades. Yeah, weird. So anyway, he's smoking that. And he's a super jumpy dude. Like the uh, flight engineer closes the cabin door and he just kind of gets all nervous. Right. And uh, then he kind of talks about what's going on. He's been cured from a breakdown. That he, had he had a teensy-weensy breakdown. Teensy-weensy breakdown. <laughs> as his wife says. A little, um, little underconfident. It was one of the sources that the breakdown... Over-anxiety due to underconfidence. Underconfidence, yeah. yeah. And he was uh, in the uh, sanitarium for six months, and his last breakdown happened on the terminal at an airport. <laughs> so this is a really great place for him to be. I'm uh, curious how he got to this place. You think they, they drove... Like, he had the breakdown on a plane, mm-hmm. then they drove for him yeah. to this place so he could get help, and now That's they're flying back. super good question. And I it's quite a long flight, too. So yeah. they get on the airplane, the plane takes off, and this is like a weird detail. It's like they had curtains covering the windows. It's not like those sliding vertical things that you see on a plane now. It, like It's a pretty visor. homey plane. It's got, like, wood yeah. paneling all around. It's a yeah. cool-looking thing, yeah. So they're on the airplane, and... He's just kind of like looking outside the window. No big deal. It's rainy. And he sees like this guy on the wing. And it's like you see it like very like the first time you see it, you're like, what? <laughs> and then you see it again and you're like. Ugh. And this is the first time you've seen this episode. Yeah. And then like I wrote my notes. Holy shit, Guy on the wing is lame. <laughs> 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 because he is he's like wearing this suit that is like uh it seems like it's too big for him it's like wooly and he's got this weird like face which you we'll talk about this in a minute okay yeah yeah he's freaking out right and then obviously he's telling his wife and she's his wife is taking sleeping pills right right because right she's very supportive um and and the flight attendant he's telling the flight attendant you know or his wife uh, there's a guy on the wing. There's totally a guy on the wing. You got to believe me, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So then the flight attendant comes over and she's like, oh, um, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And then the flight attendant's like, oh, it's nothing, Miss Wilson. Like she knew his, their names, which seems weird. It's Maybe very sweet. Also, the, service. F- the flight attendant's name was on the front of the cabin too. It's huh. it a weird old time. I wonder if they actually did that. I assume they did. Yeah. I think I'd like to know that. So they're like, okay, let's give this guy a sleeping pill, right? Right. So she comes back with like a snow cone, like those old school paper cups. Yeah, really Have you ever weird. seen one of those before? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's weird though. It's like a little paper cone. And You give me like golf courses. They always have those things standing out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he pretends to take the sleeping pill. Oh, he, take, he takes this one, doesn't he? He takes it, but then he spits it out. He takes it and spits it out, right? Yeah. So then he does the thing. It's like, it's probably one of the most tense moments in a long time because I'm <laughs> watching this with my wife and I'm like... Don't open the curtain. Don't open the curtain. Don't open. Because he's like looking at it. And it's yeah. kind of like this 
almost like a little strip tease where he's like, mm, is he going to do it? Is he going to peel it back a little bit maybe? Uh, and he, he pulls it open and the face is just right there. <laughs> and it's got like the big ah, sting. And you're like, like it's the same, like I'm feeling very conflicted feelings. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, this is so dumb, but holy shit, this is kind of scary now too. Cause it's, this thing has like these weird flattened lips and like these weird dark rings around its face and this flat so broad did it, nose. Did it make it more scary because it was so dumb? Or just you were scared because of the the shock of him actually being right there? Him being right there, I think. Yeah. It was like, you know, and because he didn't really get a good look at his face before, but you just kind of got the silhouette and it looked like a kid in a snowsuit, you know? So I was, while I was watching this again, obviously the main thing, like during that sting, where it's like, oh, God, look at how creepy this thing is. It's right there. It's like, I think your brain's able to process how stupid that thing looks yeah. quicker than your brain's able to process this is startling because I didn't expect it to yeah. be so close. But do you think part of the reason that they went with such an unbelievably stupid design in a show that's overall had like some pretty good designs for costumes, Yeah. and especially with this one where it's like obscured by the rain mm-hmm. at night and they still blow it this hard? Like, yeah. do you think that there's a part of them that maybe we're trying to do it because it made it more ridiculous for him to try and explain what it was. If he could just be like, nah. there's an alien or there's a monster, know. but he's like fumbling for words. Like there's like a man type thing, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. In a way it kind of works. I don't know, but it, it's super scary. My favorite part about the alien costume is later on when he's like kneeling down or the abominable snowman, yeah. or whatever the hell it is. Uh, and you can like see his shoes well, let's get to that. This, <laughs> okay. You're, you're jumping ahead because he he already looks kind of dumb, right? And then you see like the flight attendant comes nearby and you see it's almost like someone's grabbing him around the waist from off camera and like whoop, pulling him away. Oh, yeah. So that, yeah, apparently he can like fly yeah, as well. The, he just floats around, but he looks like kind of confused. Yeah. It's like in Peter Pan when people get the pixie dust mm-hmm. and they start floating and can't Whoa. really control it. Like that's the way he flies around yeah. on the wing. So the flight attendant comes and he's just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> and then you don't, no one believes me. And then he looks out the window again and he's there again. Floats back, yeah. Floats back and you can see like his shoulders are kind of like, this, you can see where the wires are. He kind of glides or <laughs> lands tentatively on the wing and he kind of crouches over to the propeller and like reaches over and like sticks his finger in it and he like jerks back. And then he kind of slowly looks at William Shatner. It's yeah. really cool, just that the way that he moves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he's just like being a complete dick to him. He's oh, just yeah. like, and then he like moves over closer to the engine and just starts pulling up like the service panel. Right, right. And you see like sparks and stuff. And he, the whole then he like looks over at William Shatner again. So William Shatner at this time is like freaking out. He's like, okay, now you're messing with the engine. That's a problem. You're right. not just like scaring me in the window. And he t- starts telling his wife. And she's like into it, but then he could tell, oh, you're patronizing me, right? Well, yeah, but he asked for her to just go tell yeah. the pilots. Like, go look, tell the pilot, yeah. Just exactly. tell him to keep an eye on the wing. And he's pretty logical about it. Like, I'm not saying there's something for sure out there, but mm-hmm. just tell them to keep an eye on it. And he's like, I know it's asking a lot, like advertising that you're married to a lunatic, right. but please just go double check with them. Just have him to keep an eye on the wing because at this time, planes had rear view mirrors apparently <laughs> or something. <laughs> So the flight engineer comes back and he's like, oh, yeah, this is when he does the kind of, he's like, yeah, we, yeah, 
don't tell anyone because it's going to really scare the passengers. You know, uh-huh. I mean, you're kind of like, we know what's going on. And but he then, does it in a pretty convincing way. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this guy's sympathetic. And then William Shatner, you could see, just gets completely deflated and shuts down because he's like, yeah, you're, yeah, whatever. Go back, fly your stupid I plane. I see that you're messing with me. I see what's going on here. But then as that flight co-pilot guy, I don't even know what he he's is. He's a flight engineer. Flight engineer uh, is walking back. He talks with the flight attendants mm-hmm. a little bit. And then the flight attendant leaves, and then it stays on the the flight engineer's face for a while, and he looks a little bit worried. Yeah. And it, watching it this time made me think, I wonder if they do know that mm-hmm. something's up. Yeah. And like, I mean, that was him trying to pacify William Shatner's character, but at the uh-huh. same time, I mean, not to spoil the end of the episode, but like maybe they have actually seen something, and they are a little scared of it. Right. So the flight engineer is also a uh, armchair <laughs> pharmacist and he like right. gives some pills to the wife for the guy to take and he does the thing where he's gonna take the pills but then he spits it out and then then he gets the idea he sees the guy the the guy on the wing he's then he starts talking it's a gremlin that's what he's saying you know like those things in world war ii right in the war that would mess with planes and pilots who blame it on the gremlins and he's like the thing is like lifting up, but he's like energetically dicking around with the engine. So he's like, his okay. shoes are really just being yeah, shown like the bottom of his feet. It's slowly like a shoe. Apparently, the original in like the story that this was based on, mm-hmm. uh, and even the writer envisioned it this way and wanted him to shoot it this way, was the way he described it in this little piece that I read. It was like he wanted it to be just like a man wearing a full black suit, but then there's like weird sparkles all around him. Hmm. So you just see kind of like a glimmer of like a being out there. Huh. That'd be but, interesting. Yeah, much more interesting than a teddy bear, but... Yeah, look like Green Man from Always Sunny. Exactly, yeah. So he gets the idea. He's like, you know what? Screw this. And he starts... He gets out of his seat, and he tells his wife, I got to go for a walk or something. And he looks, and he sees there's like a like a flight marshal or whatever. You could just you just see like in the aisle this gun. Right. And William Shatner sees the gun and is like lusting after it immediately and starts walking toward it. And the guy shifts his weight. And Wilton Shatner's like, ah, and then he moves back and he does like a comical, like, let me just throw my cigarettes on the ground and bend over to pick up the pack. Yeah. Grabs the gun very carefully. And it's almost like he he's whispering to the gun. It looks like it's super weird. <laughs> and then he puts his seatbelt on, tells his wife, you know, make sure she's got her seatbelt or tells her to go. Why don't you go over there? Or go. He, I need a drink of water. He yeah. Says. Go get me a drink of water. So she walks water right away. now. That's probably I need a drink of water. So he looks over and the dude on the wing is just kind of chilling and he Shoots the gun. Oh, he opens the emergency exit, yep. which sucks him out. And his he, body's like, half hanging yeah. out. He's flying out there. Everyone else is screaming on the airplane. Yeah. And he's like, oh, fighting against the, the wind. And he like aims the gun and shoots. And you see the thing kind of recoiling. And he shoots it like several more times. And then the thing just slides off the wing. And then he screams like, ah, it's like a very con-esque scream that William yeah. Shatner then has at that ah. point. He's like zooms on his face. Yep, yeah, it zooms out. And then he's on a stretcher. As everyone else is off the airplane, being taken off the airplane. Yeah. Um, and they take the stretcher out to the Ecto-1. And <laughs> at that point, they just like throw him in there. And he's telling people, you know, not, no one believes me now, but they will. Yeah. I'm, you know, he seems like satisfied with that. And then like there's a, the flight engineer. He's like, boy, that's the craziest way of trying to commit suicide I ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Apparently the craziest way is to open an <laughs> escape hatch, put your body half outside of it, and then fire a gun into the air. It's the best way to kill yourself. Yeah, with, while wearing your seatbelt. He, really, <laughs> he really did it, didn't he? And then Serling is, says, like, well, no one believes him, but they will in a little bit. And then the camera pans over, and you can indeed see the panel has been pulled back, and there's, like, all kinds of, 
carbon scoring around it and yeah it was real it was real all it totally along. happened and there was a weird teddy bear monster that could defy the air around him and he could just yes. stand casually on that wing yes he's having a good time yeah uh that was kind of a bummer to me is like yeah shatner's character gonna be like oh boy i did it i did it i saved all those people um but then to have serling come in at the end and just say you know look no one believes him now but they will mm-hmm. like people like history will look back on this moment fondly because of all the lives he saved type of thing. It's like, I, I would have liked a little more of his left, a little more ambiguous. Instead of Sterling just being like, Oh yeah, don't worry. Yeah. He's totally in the right. I'm totally fine with that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, cause <laughs> what are they, people are obviously going to look at the engine and see that that's damaged. So, right, right. Well, I don't know. It's always, I always feel like that ending narration, like ambiguity. Oh, it's just flight damage. You know, that'll happen. Right. Right. But there's a lot of cases. Like we even talked about with the last one where Sterling or the two times ago, uh, we're certainly just, there's nothing else to say. So he just kind of mm-hmm. recaps what the episode has already kind of concluded with. Yeah. And I feel like it's one of those cases. It's like, yeah, it's not really adding anything. This format <laughs> isn't always necessary. Go back to the Jess Bell format where there is yeah. no ending narration. It could have ended with a song. Finish <laughs> our gremlin. <laughs> uh, fun fact. This episode was directed by Richard Donner. Really? Superman director. Yeah. yeah interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Early in his career. Uh, so I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that you like this episode. I love this episode. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. Did you know how it was going to end? Well, yeah, I've seen Twilight Zone the movie, which has like their oh, version of, of it, you know, and that thing looks pretty ridiculous. What does it look like in the Twilight Zone the movie? It's more slimy, kind okay. of a, it's been so long since I've seen it. It It is more like, and if I watch this again, I'm going to be like totally way off, almost uh, like rat-like and feral. Am I crazy? Is it Lithgow? Who's the main guy? Yeah, Lithgow. Yep. Okay, okay. Yep. Okay, I definitely want to watch that segment. That sounds awesome. Are there mm-hmm. any big differentiations between the two that you remember? No, nah, there's like an... I think he's alone, and there's an interaction with like a little girl in the seat in front of him. Okay. It was super annoying, but yeah. I liked in this episode that there was never really a moment where he was doubting himself. Like... No. Right? I mean, he sees a thing on the wing, and then he looks closer, and it's still there. There's mm-hmm. not that moment where like he looks way and looks back and it's gone mm-hmm. it's like they really dive right in yeah with him being convinced that this thing is out there yep and that he just has to convince other people exactly and if his wife could just keep her eyes open and That's look out that window it. like why he couldn't just switch seats with her and say here's the deal yeah that thing is on the wing switch just look outside the window all you have to do i is- was gone for six months okay this is clearly <laughs> a problem just be cool it's just one flight right right you immediately had to check out and take a sleeping pill even though yeah, who's last time problem? i had the freak out it was on a plane terminal yeah Selfish. she should have shoved three pills down his throat and then maybe have taken one she should have taken any she should have been stone cold sober for this i agree the wife blew it she blew it big time <laughs> she could have saved so much of this heartbreak yeah uh, I ended up giving this one a nine. I'm giving this one a 10. All right. I think that honestly, William Shatner does such a great job with it. It yeah. could have been like super hammy and lame, but I completely felt, felt with, I felt with him. <laughs> you can fix that. You felt the fear with him. No, I think that I just felt like I completely understood where he was coming from and yeah, he did a great job. Yeah. It turns out this episode is famous for a reason. Yep. And it's I feel like it's cliche to say this because there's so many episodes from Twilight Zone that fall in that camp, but it's like, yeah, there's there's a reason that everybody knows this yeah. as one of the classic Twilight Zone episodes. Because yep, it's super fun to watch. Yeah, and this is one too where even if you know the twist and you know what's gonna happen, it's still really interesting to see how everything unfolds, which you can't say for a lot of the episodes that rely on a 
gimmick or mm-hmm. like if you can sum up in a sentence. Right, right. How much of the charm of this episode do you think is that horrible creature design? Would this episode be as famous if it was a creepy looking thing back in the original airing? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that it's probably, I would bet every flight you've ever been on, someone is thinking about this episode at one time or another. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good bet. Especially if you sit by the escape door, mm-hmm. because I always wonder like, can I just open that? Is, is there like some switch they have to hit in the cockpit before? No, I'm the able way that it's, this? if you looked at it from above, this is getting into like Please. off topic here. If you looked right. at that door from above, like uh-huh. you sliced it, it's shaped like a T, right? And the, like a really fat T like okay. that, right? Sure. And this part, the width that is like the size of the hole, it has like an entire cowling that's larger than the hole that keeps it sucked in place. So that if it's moving and the air pressure is um, the differentiation while the plane is in flight, yeah. it can't possibly get sucked out because the pressure would just keep the door sealed tighter. It's only when the plane is stationary, you open it, and then there's no pressure. Then you move it. You don't put so the it's, door... So there's no situation where that would be expected to be open no. in the air? No, not now. Oh. No, because there'd be no reason for that to happen. Now, when you even look at the picture, you're opening the door and you're like moving it into the aisle. You're not taking the door and pushing it out of the into hole. space. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. So there you go. I always, I've, cause it's because I've wondered that myself. I'm like, this seems like the least safe place to be. Oh, yeah. What if I had this horrible impulse to be like, I'm going to pull this handle, see what happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I could trip and fall on that handle. It'll totally happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm yanking on it as hard as I can as I'm trying to get up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Rod and the writer were flying a couple mm-hmm. months after this episode aired and Rod Serling orchestrated this crazy prank because apparently there were like blinds on the plane, you know, and he had made sure that this guy's seat, that the blind was pulled down and he printed out a picture of the monster's face uh-huh. and he taped it to the outside of the plane. Like he coordinated this with the airlines. They were totally on board for this so that when he opened the blind, it'd be the monster's <laughs> face right there. But then he's like, hey, how about you go open that blind? And the, and the writer guy opened it up and it wasn't there because apparently like the the jets or the props blew the mm. picture off. And so the great prank did not work. I hope that it was some kid was riding his bike and that thing just fell on his face <laughs> out of nowhere and just totally scared the shit out of him. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Well, there's a, there's the classic. We can really just stop here, right? Yeah. All why right. not? I think we've covered it all. Um, no. Okay. So next episode, which we cannot ignore, it needs to be addressed. Yes. Is an episode called a kind of stopwatch. What kind of stopwatch? A kind of stopwatch (laughs) or something. Yeah. The episode might as well be called. What is this? Some kind of stopwatch. (laughs) (laughs) So the episode stars a very obnoxious loudmouth guy named McNulty. Not Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte. McNulty. McNulty, like on the wire. Exactly. Sure. Uh, and he never stops screaming in the beginning about how a business has got to be diversified. Ah, diversification, that's the key to a yep, good business. Exactly. Um, and he tries hitting on the secretary lady, and she tells him, so drift, McNulty, after yeah. she blows him off. Yeah. Um, and he's been putting suggestions yes. in the suggestion box yes, for 11 this, months. At this company, which is a lady garments company, uh, and his boss finally calls him in and goes over these suggestions. And a couple of them... Uh. So... <laughs> He suggested for this lady garment company that they make flat hot dogs so that they fit in the buns better. Into hamburger buns. Yep. 
Uh, and then they make square soda cans and beer cans. Square tin cans. Yes, that you can stack them in the garbage better. Isn't that a riot? <laughs> and then something about how they should make little pontoons for soldiers yeah. so that they can float across water. Yep, that's basically what I wrote down. Something about pontoons. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to track with this yeah. McNulty character. Uh, and the boss just is very clear saying... These are horrible suggestions. We're Lady Garment Factor, mm-hmm. uh, Factory, whatever. Uh, and diversification is not the key to a good business. Yep. And you're fired. Get out of here. Uh, so then he goes to a bar. Yep. And he's in this bar talking about how soccer is the fastest sport in the world to this guy who's just walking as fast as he can <laughs> out of the bar. Is that like shorthand for if you know someone is like full of crap if they start talking about soccer? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he's just talking loudly and he's. It's not too far away from Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. Uh, just mm-hmm. like crazy loudmouth guy. But in that, everybody kind of liked him. In this one, everybody absolutely hates him, especially the bar owner, because this guy oh, will yeah. never shut up and everybody hates him and everybody just wants to leave the bar. Because like they're watching the baseball game and he like turns in his stool and he's like, oh, home run hitters never led the league and blah, blah, blah. And just He's an expert on everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah we all know somebody like him. Yeah. Uh, and the, the one guy who does leave, he's just goes into it. He's saying like, look, my sister has a 10 inch TV. She's got six kids. She lives on the fifth floor. There's no heating yeah. and all this stuff. But what it does have that this place, what doesn't have is, what does he say? Exactly? It doesn't have you. I'm going there. It yeah, sucks. it doesn't have you. I'm out of here. Good yeah. day. Yeah. Um, and so everybody leaves the bar except for one really weird guy mm-hmm. who's kind of british and has a bunch of little quips and phrases but is drunk yeah it's a really tough read on what they're going for not just like a mysterious magical man just a confusing drunk mm-hmm. guy uh he has this stopwatch and he gives it to him and he gives like, it to him because um mcnulty buys him a beer he's right like, you gave me something i'll give you some here's the stopwatch this is my Right, right. Family heirloom that he says, Semper Fi, and, he's la- and he leaves. And he's like, oh, you can use it to, you know, just in case you ever want to latch, launch an astronaut into space. Yeah. Like, I don't really understand. Anyways, so McNulty is talking to the bar owner uh, as he's cleaning up, and then he just happens to hit the stopwatch. And believe it or not, it pauses everything in the world, and uh, and this pretty cool music starts playing. Yeah, it's it's a good tune. Uh, and so then he taps the stopwatch again and everything gets unstuck in time. Uh, and he's very in love with this idea. Um, and it's, you know, that thing, of course, where then the bar owner's like, what, how'd you get to this side of the room? What's mm-hmm. going on? What are you doing over here? Get out of here, McNulty. I hate you. Yep. Uh, so then at this, well, so then he, it's a really weird sequence because yeah. they're trying to show the possibilities of this. So he's like looking out over the city streets and he presses it well, and like let's back out because he does really dumb stuff first no no this is first he goes home and he feeds his fish oh that's true and he okay. freezes them then he goes to bed <laughs> and he wakes up and freezes them again only then does he go out <laughs> look outside the window okay that's a very good point it's a very good point also we talked about how cool the music is when time freezes this is this is a deep cut you got to watch this episode carefully mm-hmm. but i would fucking love you if you had the same note but the music when he unpauses time yeah it is the exact kit kat bar jingle 
Except in 1963. Go back and watch this episode. Like the give me a break. Yeah, it's dun, 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 dun. it's huh. that. It's like they add more on the end, but it is that exact rhythm every time that he unpauses it. Hmm. Anyways, that was a weird one. Um, so then he looks outside in the city street and all that, pauses it, the music plays, and then they just go nuts. All the stock footage. <laughs> just bring on the stock footage. So they have like horses racing and more cars and planes crashing into bars. A cow, a cow stampede, a tree falling, yeah. water skiing. It's just like a weird experimental film from the 20s where right. it's just like there's no context. They never try to shove McNulty in. It's just basically an editor at Twilight Zone. I mean, like, hey, look at all this crazy stuff we can do by pausing video oh and it's like stock footage from a span of 30 deck you know like 30 years rather so yeah. the, the vast degrees and quality <laughs> yeah yeah it's all over the place and then it's like all right cut to commercial that's it that's how they're going to explain that this guy can do anything mm-hmm. um so then it comes back to mcnulty and the world is his oyster yep so he goes back to the old office of course. exactly like everybody does a Twilight Zone. and then his move is he steals a donut and then he goes into the boss's office and he puts. Well, no. Like oh. f- well, he t- the secretary first tells him to jump off a bridge. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes into the boss's office and he tries to sell mm-hmm. the stopwatch. That's his first move is to be like, hey, you know, I don't, you didn't like my other ideas, but how about this crazy thing? How about you buy this? And the it boss stops is, time. <laughs> yeah. And the boss is like, get out of here, you idiot, basically. Uh, so then he pauses time and then puts like a flower down his boss's jacket mm-hmm. and puts like more plants in his pockets. Yep. Steals a donut. Yep. Uh, as this is like, as the secretary is calling the cops on him, then he unpauses time on his way out the door. Um, and then harump. Yeah. Everyone's confused about what's going on. Uh, so then he goes to the bar. Mm-hmm. This is the most perplexing scene of them all because he's trying to get attention for having the stopwatch, this whole plan. And so he's trying to explain that he has this magical stopwatch and to, explain it or to show people he pauses it Mm -hmm. pauses time ruffles up a guy's hair (laughs) takes one sip from somebody's beer sets it down in the exact spot it was goes over to another beer takes another sip and then unpauses time (laughs) hey look at this everybody and like they make you know the bartender looks at the guy with ruffled up hair and is like what's going on here yeah the one guy says uh stops anything does it stop your mouth (laughs) oh uh all they, he has to do is just say, hey, everybody, I have a magical stopwatch. Seriously, look at me right now. Pause time. Take a step to the left. Unpause yeah. it. And he would just teleport around the room, but he doesn't do it, and he can't convince people. No, and he's bragging about like, oh, yeah, and he interfered with the baseball game, and he's yeah. done all this stuff. But, you know, of course, nobody's going to believe him. Yeah. And he's like, well, he has the observation. Greatest conversation piece in the world. And what does it do? It stops conversation. And that's kind of the key for this episode yeah. for me is... Going into it, it's like, okay, they have this really annoying character and he can stop time. I don't see the connection between mm-hmm. those two, but I guess the connection is he just desperately wants somebody to talk to. Yeah. And he can't because everyone's frozen in time. Right. Temporarily as of now. Well, here's the deal. Like right after he says that, it stops yeah. conversation. And he's like, my five-year-old immediately said, well, why doesn't he just give it to someone else and have them try it? <laughs> and I didn't have a good answer for him. It's like this guy is like, can't figure out what to do. He's like... Messing up people's hair and drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs> but then he gets the great idea of like, hey, you know what makes people respect you is money. Yeah, because he sees the bartenders like going through the cash register. Right, right. Like and J.D. So, Rockefeller. There we go. And so he goes to a bank, pauses it, walks into the vault, of course, takes everything. Uh, he has a crap load of money, 
And then on his way out the door, he drops the stopwatch. It shatters. He can't fix it. It won't unpause time. And so time is frozen. He runs outside. Everything's still frozen. He runs back to the old office. There's a funny moment where he goes into the boss's office mm-hmm. and the boss is kissing the secretary. Yep. Uh, There's a neat effect too. Like a guy is in the middle of throwing some trash away and like the paper is floating in the air. Yeah. Above the garbage yeah. can. Uh, so that's it. He just runs off screaming. Yeah. And apparently he's stuck forever now. It's, it's very much uh, time enough at last. Yeah. Um, done again with a fun, dumb stopwatch. So uh, I I really like this one. Oh, you do. What's okay. interesting about this one too is there, this is one of the episodes that they remade for the the um, revival of the Twilight Zone. The eighties one. The eighties, yeah. Okay. The gimmick there though is at the end it was kind of like played against like the threat of the Cold War, and if I remember correctly, this is just going off memory. I didn't look this up, so if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. God forbid. But uh, it, she stops time right as nuclear missiles are about to hit. Oh, cool. So she's basically, she doesn't break the stopwatch there, but you could see them like above the ground. So it's like, oh, if I start time again, these missiles are going to collide. Oh, that's good. That's kill good. Us. That's smart. Um, and I always thought, oh, she, she should just learn how to drive a fire truck and do it and then climb up and dismantle the bombs. <laughs> this is also pretty similar to uh, Still Valley, mm-hmm. the episode where yeah. they could pause time with witchcraft. Exactly. This is a mechanical means, so it's a little more believable. Completely different. Yeah, yeah. This guy, as big a blowhard as he is, he didn't get all pervy with it, which I think most people would pretend they wouldn't. But come on. Uh, th- that's before money. It's before absolutely anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's absolutely true. And, but like, they never really get pervy with the powers in Twilight Zone. That's and true. I think that's a thing that's come up every once in a while. It's like, oh, well, of course this power would just immediately be used for the most pervy things. Uh-huh. And then, nope, everyone's classy about it. Yeah. So maybe, you know, it's in in between the fish sequences. Mm-hmm. Maybe he snuck out at night and just right. got really devious with it, I would imagine. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. We don't have to go into details no, on what exactly all right. you're capable of that's doing. That's okay. Yeah. See, I like this because this is a character about... a. Uh, uh, an episode about a character who is unlikable yeah. in the world of but the Twilight Zone. But not tough to watch. But it is fun to watch, and you like him as a viewer, but if you had to interact with him, you would hate him. Unlike that dude from, what was it, the wonderful world of Harold... Horseford. Horseford. Yep. Where yeah. you're just like, this is insufferable asshole. <laughs> like, I don't want to spend any time with him. I like this guy, and I felt bad for him at the end. When he was alone? Yeah. Yeah, he was... Just one hair too obnoxious to really make me feel too bad for him. And at the end of this episode, it was kind of a fun, weird ride. But at the same time, it's like, they're not really saying anything. I don't know what the message is here. Yeah. Don't be annoying. Like, where's it going? I don't know. That's a weird thing that happened to a guy that annoyed everybody. Mm -hmm. The end. Well, I think that this, like, you have to reverse engineer this. They're like, okay, we got this thing. You got a device that stops time. Well, what's the downside? Oh, well, you have to be a person who's like, super social and that's you know right. what, what makes it bad because i mean if it was like time enough at last guy if he got the stopwatch that would be the best possible scenario absolutely yeah you'd finally because then he could just go to an optometrist when he drops his glasses <laughs> exactly exactly uh so yeah this one uh, i ended up giving a six really yeah i give this one an eight i really an like eight? this one really I, yeah I, th- I thought it was a lot of fun but even though he didn't have any fun with the gifts like this is almost another classic example of really wasting a gift where he's doesn't do anything. He steals a donut. Yep. The end. I like the idea that he blows it so bad that he's just a, like an idiot. And that he, when he finally gets the idea to do the bank, it's because he like, 
He, he takes a cigar out of a dude off a guy's desk. And he's just like being a clown. And that moment of distraction is what causes him to drop it just because he's such a jackass. I wonder, okay. like, when was he going to unstick time? Was he going to wheel that cart all the way over to his house? Or was he just going to get out the front door and do it and then assume that no one would know? Yeah, probably all the way to the house. I was also thinking that, like, yeah, at what point are you really safe? Yeah. Uh, you, you can't really pull it off too well. I thought he was going to use it for like gambling when he was talking about like the sports angle and stuff, mm-hmm. about how he's manipulating those games. And it's like, that's an honest way you could make a lot of money out of it. Yeah. I guess just like pausing a baseball game and like batting the baseball down or something. Mm-hmm. Also, he's talking about how he like moved that base and they're all watching the baseball game in the bar, right? Didn't right. any of them notice that base disappear? Or like some weird Oh, fishy... no, that was, I think he was talking about another game. Oh, okay. Yeah. I suppose that makes sense. Um. All right. Moving on to last night of a jockey. Here Tell we go. More. All right, dude. We're going long, but I well, think we all have a, a lot to say about this episode. This will be a episode. pretty short episode. Oh, okay. Go ahead. So open with Mickey Rooney with his hands down his pants. <laughs> <laughs> the <In> end. end. <laughs> so, yeah, that's actually true. And you see headlines scattered, or newspapers with headlines all over the ground nearby saying, you know, this jockey has been banned forever. And because you know that Mickey Rooney is a short person, that means he's a jockey and he is the person who's been banned from the sport of jockeying. <laughs> so anyway, a columnist calls, and he gets all mad. This You learn that the guy's name is Grady, and he's been suspended because of horse doping. And he's like, I don't want to give you any comments. You're a jackass, you know, whatever. And apparently everybody really cares about horse racing in this it's world. Front page news. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So he does the Twilight zone kind of thing. He's living alone. He starts talking about what he's going to do next to himself in his own reflection. And he said, ah, you know, maybe I'll just drive couples around in a carriage in Central Park. Ha, ha, ha. And then runs over to reinforce the point. He's been drinking. He pulls a big slug from a bottle and then breaks it on the ground. And he's all sweaty. And then he looks in the mirror and he calls himself a runt and a shrimp. And uh, then Sterling has a monologue where he makes a lot of jokes about how short he is. <laughs> I'm sure Mickey Rooney just loved that. Yeah, yeah. like, okay, God, I've been an actor for 60 years at this point. Just <laughs> let it go. So anyway, Grady hears this voice asking, how's it going? How's it going? And Grady's drunk, but he's like looking around, and then the voice starts laughing. And it's it just a goes really on. obnoxious laugh. It's like, <laughs> goes on way too long. Yeah. And finally, the voice says, hey, I'm in your head. And then Mickey... <laughs> and he's like, I hate it. I hate living in your head, by I the way. It's super it's, cramped it's, and it's ugly. It sucks. <laughs> Every mirror I look into, there you are. Yeah. So then Grady's like, yeah, you like it in there? Are you comfortable? And he just starts slapping his own face. <laughs> and the voice says, ah, I'm your alter ego. Okay, whatever. And he looks in the mirror and he sees like super handsome, suave Mickey Rooney wearing a suit. And This is exactly a nervous man in a $4 room. This, this room is probably three and a half bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so he sees his reflection in the mirror. Uh-oh. And the the suave version of himself goes over the rap sheet talking about how race fixing and doping and all this other stuff. Now it's a lifetime suspension. So Mickey Rooney responds by breaking the mirror, which makes him even drunker than before. He's of super course. drunk now. Yep. And then he realizes, oh, I can call this guy and get back to racing in Puerto Rico in a few years, I'll be wearing silks in the big leagues again, as they call it, the big leagues. So he calls the guy, and the guy hangs up on him almost like 10 seconds into the call. So McNulty makes some hot plate coffee. Which you said sh- McNulty. McNulty. No, no, Grady. no. No, no, no. Grady makes some coffee like McNulty did oh, on I a see. hot plate. I think that's ah, shorthand okay. for like, 
I live alone <laughs> in the Twilight Zone as if you make kind of like uh, the Bard. Yeah, yeah that's Remember true. he had hot plate coffee also. Also, there's a pretty impressive shot. Like, So they're superimposing uh, you know, his reflection into all the reflective surfaces, much like Nervous Man, whatever. Right. Uh, but since he broke the mirror, there is that glass shard on the floor. I'm getting there. Oh, is that coming up later? I thought that was earlier. It's, right. it's right here. He Yeah, he sees it on the floor. So then... Grady stomps on that into smaller shards. It's 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 an impressive shot. Like yeah. the rest of like, you know, the face being put in the images doesn't look that great. It's just gonna like blurred around like, oh, right. now he's in this dumb in poster. Yeah, it's really rough. Uh, but this was a really impressive shot. So then the voice is like, "Hey, what do you want?" And Grady says, "I want to be big, the biggest, the biggest, the biggest." And then. Commercial break. No mention of his height or like him having. Well, I guess yeah, he kind of jockey, but no, I know. But I was thinking about like he never really. It wasn't part of the episode outside of Serling's speech. Mm-hmm. But I guess he called himself a shrimp in the mirror or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. So then, bolt of lightning, thunder, and he wakes up. And then he he's talking about how it's wild, it's wild. And at first, I'm like, what is he talking about? Like, because he keeps looking at his shoes. And yeah. Like, Did he get new shoes? <laughs> is that what happened? <laughs> like, and I'm like, oh no. And they they do this thing where they've scaled the set to be like he's taller, right? So like he's taller than the doors. They just make everything a little bit smaller. I was really hoping this was going to happen because I was so bored at the halfway point of this episode mm-hmm. that when it closes with him wishing to be big, it's like, well, please, just, just make it big. happen so that it can be entertaining. Just turn him into freaking Godzilla at this point. Yeah. So then he's like. Thinking, what can I do now that I'm big? Oh, I'll call up this old gal that I knew. First move is she, to call somebody. She she blew me off because I was short. She patted my head. Right. So he calls her and he's talking to her and he's like, I'm big. I don't know, five, six, seven, eight feet tall. And, and then she's like, you can't hear her, but then yeah. you can tell she's not having any of it. He's like, I'll slap her face off. You're no good alley cat. <laughs> and then hangs up the tiny phone because the phone <laughs> looks yeah. like a little dollhouse phone. Right, right. So... So apparently just calling a random ex and saying, I'm big now. I'm big does now. Not really that's not going to do it. Yeah. So then he gets a phone call on the tiny phone from the racing commission. And they say, oh, you, they're going to get the sentence reversed. And um, now you're too big to ride. Well, he know he realizes. He's ah, super excited at first. And he's jumping around the house. Then yep. he realizes. He says, yeah, we're going to get the sentence reversed. And then I'm like, oh, this is the moment when I think I realized it. Like, oh. He's big. He's going to break the horse's back. This is right, not right. going to work. So um, the voice comes back and he's like, I'm I'm the voice you hear when you hit rock bottom. You could have asked to win the Kentucky Derby uh-huh. fair and square with honor or perform a heroic a- uh, act. Instead, you wanted something cheaper, right? which was being big. <laughs> so then he gets another call. And yes, the board has reversed it because the previous call, I, my mistake, was from his lawyer saying that they were going right. to look into it. Right. So right. the board does indeed reverse it. You're going to play it straight from now on. Great. He's like, I'm going to write again. Ha ha. And another lightning strike. He's even taller. He gets taller one last time. Wait, really? I guess yeah. I missed that. He gets taller one last time where he's like, his head is like bonking into the ceiling. Oh, I didn't catch it. I saw the light. I mean, I caught the lightning strike. Oh, yeah. I he gets, I he gets even bigger just okay. as if to drive home. Like at this point, if he was going to go horse racing, he would have to tuck the horse under his arm and run. <laughs> and then he has a crazy, I'm an actor freak out where he just like starts, he picks up like this tiny chair and throws it through the window. I'm too big. I'm ah, too big. Starts knocking everything. I was hoping that he would jump through the window and you would just see him landing because it would be like a two foot drop at this moment. <laughs> but there's nothing like that. 
And he's, he has this freak out, please make me small, make me small. And then the voice says, you are small, Mr. Grady. This episode sucks. This episode sucks so hard. And then you're like, <laughs> oh, I realized afterwards it, it only had um, him. It only took place in that set and it was only him. And it sucked so hard. It was unbelievably cheap to produce except for creating that slightly the other stupid set tiny version of the set yeah but man i'm sure mickey rooney thought he could pull this off i'm sure it's like well i got mickey rooney how bad can it be it's gonna be great they could have called this one miniature when you think about it yeah, they really could have could have been his rubber duval moment but nope but this is just like a one sentence idea that is not even worthy of one sentence that they put into a half hour this format. is like nervous man in a four dollar room and oh god, I'm I'm spacing it now. Four o'clock. And four o'clock. Yes. Those yes. two episodes mashed together clumsily. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I ended up giving this one a three. And I gave this one a two. <gasps> this one sucked. This was awful. <laughs> it was. I mean, it's not like it was grading to watch grading. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just it was. There's nothing there. No. Like he wanted to be big, and then he was too big to ride on his horses. And he liked riding horses. And he was an asshole. Because we kind saw of. that. Because yeah. he like called the ex-girlfriend. And he was kind of a jerk to the journalist. Yeah. And that's about it. We it's interesting to... because oh, like ahead. this is a character that is super shitty, right? Right. And he doesn't get redemption. He gets his comeuppance, right? But in the, the first episode in Praise of Pip, right? We've got a character who is arguably a worse human being. Yeah. Because he's involved in like with people that will beat you up over $300. Right. Like, that's a big sum of money back then. But I mean, clearly he's been involved in worse. Right. But right. because and maybe it's because he's trading his life for something else. Yeah. He's, he's coming to the light side. He's sacrificing himself for his son. Yeah. Maybe this guy should have traded his furniture to get small again or something. I don't know. I just really wanted him to leave that apartment. Just shake it up. It would have been great. Just to like, yeah. If I could just see his horse, I would like to see a horse in this episode for some entertainment. I was hoping when he like realized I'm big that we were going to see him like standing on a like crate or some like optical illusion to see him interacting with like taller people. And no, something. he never leaves his room. Wouldn't you, that'd be the first thing you'd want to do is get out of that awful room. Absolutely. Show off how tall you are instead of just calling drunk dialing people on the phone. Talking in your stupid mirror. Man, uh, yeah, so uh, that's it. Yeah, that was a screeching halt because I thought all the other uh, other episodes were really fun and interesting, yeah. and then oh, this yeah. one happened. It was like, I, I should have known when Jockey was in the title. <laughs> Last I, Night of a Jockey. Yeah. What a horrible title. All right, Oof. but overall, solid batch. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to the next one, too. And then the next one, and the next one, and the next yep, one. Yeah, we'll just keep looking forward to it until there's nothing more to look forward to. <laughs> cool. Look forward to that, everybody. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks for tuning in, and we will talk at you again next week. Thanks, Ben. Oh, hey, thanks, Cork. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. We're almost done. All right. That door. Smack them lips. Tuck to the mic. Ah, in praise of Pip. Pip. Pip, palindrome, got a lot to say. Why won't you come home? Pip, pip, on a pip tip. Little pip, race car, race car, pip. <laughs> a man, a plan, a canal, pip, pip, Panama. Other palindrome. <laughs> pip had a mom, pip had a mom.
And a dad, Pip's dad, was the worst he ever had.